0: you're writing just write what you're hearing really genuinely don't worry about keys don't worry about it making it fit on your instrument just write it as you hear it and then later when you're adjusting for whatever instrumentation is for your ensemble you can change the key and you might find that you're starting to play in different keys that you might not have otherwise To So for the writing process now, um, and early on when I started, I think I just started small. And I think for anyone who feels overwhelmed by writing their own music or not sure where to start, there's nowhere to start. I mean, every time, even now, I've written quite a bit of music now, but I feel like every time I start, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and I think it's one of those things that never really leaves like that element of feeling unsure as how to start. I think that's constant. And I've heard that too with people who write books and poetry and uh, literary writers. I think they find the same thing. You just have to start somewhere.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so usually now what my process includes is starting with a very short idea.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and I do have a book of manuscript. I have several books of manuscript, mm-hmm. um, but I'll start with a two bar phrase. It might be a baseline. It might just be a melody, something that I find compelling, mm-hmm. but it's really short. Um, And I'll just write that idea down really quickly when I think of it, or if I'm sitting at piano and noodling around. Um, And then I might leave it and I might just flip the page and write a different idea or, you know, I have a book of different ideas. And then I might come back to those ideas later and then see if I can develop it. Or perhaps if it's like an example of a melody, I might just try to find a bass counterpart.
1: Awesome. So keeping
0: things really simple, mm-hmm. I think actually um, entails a lot because you can take things quite far if you just think of it in a simple way. Right. Um, so part of it's mindset and just being open to hearing different sounds, using a very simple cell of an idea. Maybe right. it's a rhythm that really inspires you. Um, so write it out or record yourself and see if you can start layering ideas on top. So. Um, that's kind of how my ideas stem is just one thing. And then I put something else on top. Right. And that if that inspires a new section, I'll write that. Or maybe I might just keep layering. Sometimes mm. I have ideas for vamps and I'll just write a melody or two or three on top and seeing which one works. Or maybe I end up using that later in the process by distributing those parts uh, amongst the instruments later. So trying to keep an open mind as to how, the mechanics might work and not being too, too particular. I think really helps.
2: Would you mind taking us through that process right now? Absolutely. Awesome. So let's let's do that.
0: So I picked two songs. I think they're both from my latest album. And only because I think they're a little bit more tangible to, um, describe just some of the ideas that I started with. So I'm not going to play the entire piece, I'm gonna start with the actual seed of the idea that I started with each of these
1: pieces. So
0: I'll start with one that I wrote a baseline for. This one's called Morning. And Jesse, I'll send you the chart so that maybe you can link in the description if anybody listening wants to look at it. I'm happy to share it. Um, So this one, I actually, I had to wake up really early one morning. And as I was making some tea in the kitchen, this baseline came to me. And I wasn't even sure exactly what it was, but it was basically this. um, And that was it. So I just came to the piano, tried to figure out what notes those were. And I had, when I was in the kitchen, I just sang it. so that's something, that's like a great tip actually I got from a teacher is when you're writing, just write what you're hearing really genuinely. Don't worry about keys, don't worry about it making it fit on your instrument, just write it as you hear it. And then later when you're adjusting for whatever instrumentation is for your ensemble, you can change the key and you might find that you're starting to play in different keys that you might not have otherwise too. And that's a great um, platform for you to start practicing in different keys that's kind of how um as i was developing a saxophone player after forming my band writing became the ultimate vehicle to practice new ideas because i Mm. might shift a key after having transposed it to fit my saxophone and now i'm playing in like d flat um and b flat and a flat and keys that i wouldn't have really written for otherwise or intuitively written for right yeah yeah um so i guess just to yeah
2: I was going to say, I find that's really interesting because your your process seems very organic and you seem to have worked in the process of composing into your your life daily. So something as grabbing a cup of tea and just being aware of the inspiration around and and treating that idea as something legitimate and then pursuing it, you
0: know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And even now, I would say like, to be honest, I don't write every day. Um, I do like if I mean, now, of course, in the midst of quarantine, um, I haven't had any like urgent projects to write for. But typically, when I have a deadline coming up, or perhaps it's a gig, I just want to get a new song out and try mm-hmm. to play it with the band. Um, I will go through a week of like committing to writing and really keeping my ears open. Right. Um, and I find when I'm in that kind of mode or that mental space, I'm like, recording on my phone I'm using my digital recorder I'm at my piano very regularly yeah. just to keep the flow open right
1: right and right. I
0: might not even use half the ideas I come up with but I'm just trying to write anything down and I think yeah. just getting into that habit if you're in that headspace is really really good
1: that's great cuz it just
0: gets the juices flowing you know I know yeah. people say it's very cliche to say that but for me it's actually worked yeah um yeah. so what yeah, do you do with so- that
2: baseline after you you captured the idea
0: yeah exactly okay so perhaps anyone who's listening if you guys can take a look at the chart um so that bass note so this is my f on the piano and then the next line is a similar figure it's going up to f sharp and i'm going f sharp d e so for those of us who are comfortable with different types of chords and qualities We know that these notes that I use with the F bass line, it's F, C, and D. That could be a lot of things. I mean, initially, it could just be F major with a six. You could be implying a D minor seven if you put a D in the bass. Um, It could be a G sus chord with that upper structure using the seven, um, the four, and the five. So there's a lot of openness to that. And I think if you can see the plurality in shapes, that really starts opening your ears to different sounds. For me, in this case, I just stuck with the first chord being F major. So... To me, that sounded truer to the intent that I was hearing originally. So kind of like really getting in touch with what sound resonates with you when you first heard it and try to mix and match. Does that sound like what you were hearing or maybe there's a different shape? Um, If I, for example, just to illustrate, if I wanted a D minor sound, I'm implying that D in the bass. Or if I wanted that sus sound of the G uh, in the bass, but that's not really what I was going for. I think I'm really hearing. So it's just really simple in that case. It just happened to work out that it's simple. The next shape, however, I'm taking the notes now F sharp, D, and E similar idea i went through a lot of different options using those notes what notes um or rather what chords contain those notes there's right. quite a few options mm-hmm. in my case i decided it was a slash chord i was hearing quite clearly that it's the f sharp that i use in the line yeah. is the bass note and mm-hmm. it's a d chord on top right. so yep. so here's the shape now when i fill in my harmony structure is uh, I'm going to shift it down yeah. so from there I would just start singing melodies and so what I did with this tune is I looped that vamp those mm-hmm. two chord structures and I just started singing and for me I don't I'm not a self-proclaimed singer I sing in the shower that's what I like to say <laughs>
1: um,
0: but um i think singing is the most intuitive musical instrument that we all have and that's why i'm a really firm believer i mean i actually have never really tried composing on the saxophone before i think that might be something that would be interesting for me to try at some point Mm -hmm. but for me it's singing um because i find i get to the most um intuitive melodies Mm -hmm. that just sound like true to me with Yeah. yeah Without any assistance of the instrument that i play
1: yeah
0: um so i just start singing yes. and so i came up with the melody so <clears throat> oh yeah sorry
2: no i was gonna say what's interesting to me about the the progression is that even though it's two very simple chords that there's a relationship between them even though they, they don't, they're not necessarily both diatonic to to, to the to the right. tonal center but there's a sense of movement that you're creating with those two chords. And I feel like if that's a really good place uh, to start, you know, a lot of um, people when they just begin writing, they have a hard time uh, using the nuts and bolts of music, harmony, rhythm, melody to create a sense of movement. And I think that's a really good place to start with just having a simple idea, but there's some sense of movement happening just from within that simple idea. And then, adding elements to that um is a really good good, good approach
0: yeah and i think i mean i think i might come to that naturally just wanting to hear a little bit of a change i Mm -hmm. mean certainly there are core progressions where there's subtle movement right but certainly when we get into more dramatic shifts i mean i guess it just depends on what the intention is behind what you're writing yeah hopefully you're just being true to what you're genuinely hearing inside your head and what Mm -hmm. you're I mean a lot of people compare writing to like active transcription but what right. you're transcribing yourself you're transcribing right, your right, own right. idea
1: yeah, yeah
0: yeah so i try to use that analogy almost like i'm just transcribing what i hear mm-hmm. and sure i'm gonna try a lot of things maybe the two chords the shift that happens is a bit more vanilla sounding like it's not as dramatic mm-hmm. um and that's fine too if that's what you're going for it's great yeah. um but in this case and certainly in some of my other pieces i do tend to want to hear a bit of a color change yeah because you're right like there that um, implies more momentum yeah so if you're looking for something more like with motion you can think of experimenting with different chord color shifts because wow. that's what's going to invoke change or sense of change mm-hmm. and as a result it kind of propels the song a bit forward in a certain way
1: yeah
0: um, and then of course like combinations of things right like you may not want to have dramatic chord shifts for every section of the piece, right, it's gonna right. lend itself in different ways in different parts. Yeah, so
1: so just creating balance. Like,
0: absolutely, yeah. yeah. And like maybe what some, like people can also transcribe some of their favorite composers. That's something I did too, just to get a sense of what colors my idols are using and seeing if I can apply that in a yeah. way uh, to my own writing.
1: Great. Um,
0: Great. Yeah, so I would just loop that shape. Um, so again, and going and Mm -hmm. then I would end up singing the song so I think I came up with what did I oh yeah so I went that's the first four bars of that melody and when I was writing it it was just something I sang but I tried a lot of other shapes and ideas singing yeah. And that's the one that sounded like very strong to me. Um, and something I think I, I strive to do in my writing also is like writing melodies that I can sing.
1: Right.
0: And it's probably because that's part of my process. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I think you kind of get towards a little bit closer, a more melodic approach.
1: Yeah.
0: Because you have to sing it.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah.
0: Um, and don't get me wrong, there are pieces that I write that are a lot more like saxophone line or more friendly to the technicality of how I would play yeah, the saxophone, yeah, yeah. but I couldn't necessarily sing very quickly. Right. Um, but I did sing it slowly when I was right. writing it. Right, right, right.
2: Just I mean, then you quickly. can always just sing a shape rather than the exact notes as well, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. If, it, if it's exactly. more
2: complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yep, absolutely. Right. But I think like the, the singing tool for me is like, um, has been a very strong component of my writing.
1: Green. Um, wow.
0: yeah. And then, um, there's another piece, but only if we have time, we can, we can also Let's skip do it. it.
1: Let's okay. Do
0: it. It's very short. And I, again, I'm just going to break down the, the structure that I used. So this next piece is called looking up and, um, I can share, maybe I can share the first page of this one. Sure. If you want to share it with the listeners.
1: Yeah, that be Um,
0: great. but for this one, so I was really fortunate to take some piano lessons with a great piano teacher in toronto named frank falco okay um and i just wanted like i kind of went to him originally to have him show me some different piano voicings because i use piano so much as a tool for writing yeah and it became kind of a theory lesson slash kind of showing of different voicings um i couldn't play a lot of things in time but he really exposed me to a lot of different sounds okay and there was one lesson where we were exploring um clusters hmm and very, very simple clusters. So this particular one that ended up inspiring this tune is a semitone with a fifth on top. And so we get the shape. Mm-hmm.
2: I love that sound.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's really interesting. It's super simple, right? Yeah. Um, but in the same way that when I was writing the bass line, the bass line can imply a lot of things. Like, I came up with that figure. It ended up being the bass line of my piece. But it could have been an upper structure Mel- melodic fragment yeah. and I could have changed the bass part. Yeah. Um, so, so being open to like which parts you're writing, it can change. Yeah. Um, in this case I use these clusters as an upper structure. So I really like these uh, ideas. So I kind of started playing around with what these clusters can be mm-hmm. and the opening shape of this piece called Looking Up is um, this. And I just came up with that. And I I just happened to like that combination of that shape. So again, it's semitone with a fifth from that second note. So in the first case, it's C, D-flat, A-flat. That's the first one. And I'm just simply transposing it to a combination or sequence that I liked. Yeah. So again. And then I continue to transpose that shape. See if I can play the next one. So the next one was. And then the next shape is nice and that's the second four bars of that piece Mm -hmm. and then finding a bass part because i kind of had an idea i wanted those pitches to resonate in a high register on the piano okay so in that case that takes part of the fact that it's upper structure Mm -hmm. i had to come up with the bass part
1: right
0: so kind of trial and error trying different bass notes with that combination of notes Mm -hmm. um and looping it in a way if people are savvy using like garage band or any kind of looping sequencer um there's so much great software now that you can kind of record yourself and loop things yeah um those are tools that i've used in the past just like loop it a lot and see if you can sing parts on top Mm -hmm. or what you're hearing intuitively on top of that
2: you know so knowledge you've broken down a portion of your writing process it's it's clear to me that you have a really uh, uh, gra- good grasp on the idea of, of counterpoint because you see because you're talking about one instrument as in like the upper structure part and then being a way of how you can balance that with the bass part and all that mm-hmm. and that's something that that I find um, some young composers um, don't have yet um, this, just the, the concept. Of, of balancing instruments and then um, from a frequency point of view, but then also from a rhythmic um, point of view. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on, uh, on how you, how do you incorporate counterpoint into your writing process? Is it an active thing or is it more of a
0: subconscious thing for you? Um, I think a little bit of both. Um, yeah. I would say, I mean, for anyone listening, like certainly transcribe the writing that you like like try to figure out what the composers who you kind of naturally gravitate to try to see if you can figure out what they're doing because that will certainly inform you as to um just the mechanics of what's happening um on a more simpler note i was fortunate to take an arranging class when i attended college Mm -hmm. and it was everything from like big band writing i'm sure you took a similar class right did you take out big band Yeah. yeah So even though I don't write for big band now, I learned a great deal. Um, and a lot of it is about contrast.
1: Right.
0: And so I think some of the lessons I took from those years of studying arranging was being very clear about what's in the foreground and what's in the background and how that can shift certainly throughout a piece, yeah. but being really clear about what's happening right now and what should be maybe less important, but still happening right. and then rotating that shape. Right. Um, color changes, um, that contrast might also happen with register. So if there's something high, what's happening down low. Similarly, if there's a frequently repeating pattern, perhaps the other part should be stagnant or more Mm -hmm. stationary. So as to create contrast and so it doesn't sound too chaotic. So just finding balance in, in shape, color, rhythm, frequency of rhythm. Um, those are things that I do actively think about though. I'm it's not always super technical for me like um, I'm trying to think so like that first piece if I have a moving part my melody right now there when I started those first four bars there a lot of them are held notes with a little bit of motion and I don't know if I would have thought of it technically that's what I was doing but when I sang it I want to hear something that sits for a bit longer. So that moving part can come through in a way that's still clear and it's not being buried by a very, very active melody. Now, perhaps an active melody could suit the piece with a moving bass part. But in that case, with the tempo that I chose, it made more sense to have a more stationary type melody. Um, But yeah, just in short, thinking of contrast. And that applies to every aspect of the writing, so rhythm, harmony, melody, trying to change things up and not having too much active at once.
2: So you said these two examples were from your your most recent album. Yeah, okay, great. I'll make sure that um, our audience had a chance to check that out as as well. Yeah. How has this process um, of writing and and playing the music with your band? Um, how would how, how has it helped you to evolve as a saxophone player
1: Ooh,
0: well I think probably kind of what I touched on a little bit earlier is that when you write your own music you're creating templates for yourself and often new vehicles for yourself to practice right um, ideas perhaps it's scales maybe it's like different pentatonic scales or something mm-hmm. like that so you you can take something very concrete that you're aspiring to play, but when you play it in a new context, and that would be like a piece that you wrote, or right. maybe even a really short little vamp that you came up with on your own, mm-hmm. just something that you generated yourself, you start hearing that shape in different ways. So, for example, just to be very concrete, something that I've continued to practice since graduating school are bebop scales mm-hmm. and finding different ways to implement them. Um, And certainly I want to use them over bebop heads and Charlie Uh Parker songs and also some other jazz standards that I love. But when I use them in my own pieces, it suddenly takes on a slightly different sound that I wouldn't Mm. have thought of otherwise. So I may try to play some bebop scales over some of these vamps that I created. And now they don't sound like typical bebop scales. or Maybe they do to the average listener, but I'm finding a new way to approach it. Right. And I think as a result, that expands the way you're thinking about something as concrete as a scale and gets Uh you to think about it in a different way.
1: Um,
0: So I would say, I mean, I really credit my writing for having pushed me to develop as a performing saxophone player, a more Uh technical saxophone player in a different way than I would have if I was playing somebody else's music.
2: Right. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a really important process for me to develop as a saxophone player as well.
2: Right. So in that way, you sort of continue to evolve through the process of composition.
0: I think so. For me, the two are quite um, connected, right. quite deeply connected. I mean, I strive to develop as a saxophone player. I strive to develop as a composer. Mm-hmm. But I think as I continue to write, I inherently develop different ideas as saxophone player just because it's part of me trying to play my own music and trying yeah. to figure out new... Yeah new ways to go around navigating that harmony or that, that rhythm.
2: You know, Allison, you've no doubt been able to carve out a really unique sound, um, for yourself and, and for oh, your, you. for your band. And, um, I'm genuinely a, a fan <laughs> of what thank you, you do. That and means so
0: much to me, Jesse, really, especially coming from you.
2: Man, And it's, it's been a pleasure just kind of being able to, to see your process. Um, and hearing your insights on your composing and then using that as a vehicle to evolve as, as as a player and all of that. Before we go today, I have a, a rapid fire question game that I'd like us to do together. Okay. It's called Three Two One. And I'd like you to share three albums that have been influential for you two saxophone players, and one piece of advice.
0: Ooh, okay. Okay, three albums. Okay, I'm gonna throw in a mix of things.
1: Okay.
0: Um, I'm gonna say one of the earliest albums that had an impact on me was actually a Boys to Men record.
1: Amazing. For those of you who are
0: not <laughs> familiar with Boys to Men, they're uh, an R and B vocal group, a uh, vocal quartet that was very prominent in the '80s and '90s, and they're yeah. still active today. Mm-hmm um but they were certainly kind of at their peak at that time and i would have been maybe around six or seven listening to some of their music
1: mm-hmm.
0: but i really gravitated towards the vocal harmony and what i soon later found out was actually coming from gospel music yeah and i think more than anything more than jazz it was early 90s r&b music that got me interested in what i later found out was just black american music right And I don't think I understood what that was. And then later I realized it's actually coming from jazz. And earlier forms of Black American music. But but 90s R&B for me, and still to this day, I hold very dear to my heart. I love a lot of those vocal groups like SWV, Mm -hmm. Boys to Men, Jodeci, um, so many. Anyway, um, but the album 2, I think it's called. um, I listened to that record a lot as a kid. Um, and that really introduced me to like, I mean, obviously it was a pop version of gospel uh-huh. harmony. Um, really? and that really pulled me into the world of jazz later that I found out after having connected all the dots. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So that's
0: the first yeah. album that had a huge influence on my uh, musical development, I think. Yeah. And then once that I later found through college, uh, Wayne Shorter, Speak No Evil, uh-huh. the writing on that, I think I really found compelling. And that's, I also kind of discovered Herbie Hancock through that record and, okay. Took me down another rabbit hole with his writing um mm-hmm. which has been really influential to me um and then stevie wonder songs in the key of life
2: yeah wow that's that, a really um, nice diverse list there yeah,
0: yeah yeah certainly um but yeah those are have all been influential
2: you know before you tell us the two saxophone players that that have been influential for you yesterday i was um i think i was on instagram and i saw a post from someone um, he was playing a transcription of um Killing Me Softly Um from Lauren oh. Hill. And um but there was a saxophone playing the melody, so I reached out to him and was like, Who is this? And he was it was Kenny Garrett. It was oh. Kenny Garrett playing um, I think it was a Warner, Warner Brothers um records. They put a jam session together. Wow. with Joshua Redmond and Brad Mildow. Um, have you heard that recording?
0: I have not, but I'm gonna check it out.
2: Yeah, and he's playing um, they, they play some standards on the and then some other tunes, but Kenny Garrett is playing killing me soulfully. Wow. It's so good. You know, and, and again, there's that, that connection because a lot of times people, um, don't see the connection between, uh, pop or R and B and jazz, but it's all part of the same, the same family of black American music. as yep. well. So, yeah. Absolutely.
1: All
2: right. Take us through, take us through uh, your two, um, saxophone
0: players oh uh, this is really hard but <laughs> um i think what is funny about me in some way is that i gravitate to tenor saxophone players more than alto interesting so the two saxophone players for me are Sonny rollins mm-hmm. and joe henderson
2: wow okay and i
0: think i chose those <laughs> to be honest because i love all the records yeah and also because each of them have a ver- very thematic way of improvising mm-hmm. that has always really resonated with me
1: wow
2: I'm gonna break the rule here just for you. Yeah. Because you you have such a unique sound on the saxophone. And as an alto, as an altruist, I feel like if you know you really need to be serious about doing the, the homework about the sound of the alto, yeah. Um, to inform your own personal sound. So let's get a third person. Are there any alto players that have really influenced your sound?
0: sure oh okay well then probably bird i would say
1: okay There because i did i
0: okay. did do a fair bit of transcribing of, of charlie parker um but also i mean cannonball Adderley is up there too mm-hmm. so i don't feel like i sound like him at all he's had a huge influence on my brain right. as well
2: cool what's the one piece of advice you want to leave with
0: oh yeah okay i would say um if there's anything that you want to do creatively don't ask anyone for permission to do so just do it um and i would say again like coming from my experience as like a very inexperienced saxophone player going through college and really not knowing my way or feeling a little bit lost after graduating and, and not sure if i would be pursuing music professionally as a career um And again, not having people call me per se. I wasn't one of those saxophone players, you know. So creating your own opportunity and your own platform to do things, I think, is really crucial, especially in this day and age, you know, like, I mean, there's still record labels in existence, but not as many. And there's a lot more technological things at our fingertips to create music in ways that people wouldn't have done so otherwise, like 20 years ago. So if you have an idea, whether it be for a song or even just to start your own band of any kind, just do it. And don't wait for anyone to ask you first or to have to encourage you to do so. I think if you're really, you know, strong willed about that, you have a really clear idea, just do it. Just do it.
2: And that's coming from uh, the Juno Award-winning uh, Allison. <laughs> oh, that's some good advice, Allison. Thank you so much. It's been really been a pleasure chatting with you and just Likewise. hearing all the, your, your insights. Uh, if you're listening and you want to connect directly with Allison, um, please check out her website. It's Allison. Um, oh, that's um, Allison A W A U. Sorry. Um, that's right. Dot com, and um, you're on Instagram as well, right?
0: I am. Yeah. What's it's you? just Allison Al Music. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, I hope that this conversation was both inspiring and that it empowers you to keep taking ground in your professional and creative journeys. Um, I'm Jesse Ryan, and thanks for listening. I'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks, Alison.
1: Thank you.